Our sermon passage this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 739. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins, and they shall raise up the former devastations of many generations. Verse 8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And all of God's people said, Amen. Please pray with me. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds to you, O Lord, that we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. A few days ago, I found myself stuck in the waiting room at the doctor's office, helplessly watching my carefully planned out afternoon disintegrating Moment by slowly passing moments. Most of us have been there before, right? You rush, rush, rush to get to your appointment only to find out that you're going to spend the next hour listening to a wonderful symphony of coughs and sneezes and sometimes even snoring. But thanks be to God, the TV that was closest to me was not showing ESPN or an endless loop of infomercials, but it was turned to a home renovation show on HGTV. (laughs) So it sounds like there's some other home reno fans out there. Now, I may be barely able to change a light bulb, but I am a complete sap for the TV magic of watching a sad, bereft little home become house beautiful in the span of about 50 minutes. And they make it all look so easy, don't they? A quick walkthrough, a few redesigned swipes on an iPad, a half a dozen subcontractor crews in and out, and boom, 
It's time for the big reveal. And why, yes, I am ready to see their fixer-upper. But of course, even I know that what we see on screen isn't the full story. It takes a lot more than a couple of swipes on an iPad and a few subcontractor crews in and out to renovate an entire home. What they carefully don't show us is all the mess in between. And anyone who's ever lived through a real renovation can testify to how messy it gets. There's delays in building materials. You have rainy days and then subcontractors who don't show up on time and designs that look so good on paper but just don't work in real life. And then there's that real dusty mess of tearing down walls and tearing up floors. The shows may give us a tiny glimpse of that mess, but it really doesn't cause us any stress because give it another 12 minutes or so and it's all going to be wrapped up in a nice little package. Too bad real life doesn't work like that. When the words of Isaiah 61 come to the people of God, they are in the midst of a big, huge, walls torn down, floors torn up kind of mess. Now there is some good news. The people are finally back home in Israel after decades of exile in Babylon. But there's a whole lot of bad news. Home is not the home they remembered. The temple is still destroyed. The riches of Jerusalem have been plundered and scattered, and only rubble remains where their homes once stood. The people who've been left there in Jerusalem, left behind, have been doing the best that they could with what little they had. And the people who return have to figure out how to create some way of organizing themselves into a renovation team. And those who stayed behind and those who've come back home have to figure out how to work together to rebuild what has been lost, to renovate not only the city itself stone by stone by stone, but all those broken relationships and broken dreams bit by bit by bit. And it is to these people, knee-deep in the rubble of a broken city, of broken relationships, and broken dreams, that the Spirit of the Lord sends this word. The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort those who have been mourning to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, Isaiah says, the planting of the Lord to display his glory to the world. And they shall build up the ancient ruins and they shall raise up the former devastations of many generations. Now that, brothers and sisters, is a pep talk. But it's even better than a pep talk because Isaiah is reminding the people that it's not all up 
to them. God is at work in this rubble, and that will make all the difference. The people can take off the ashes of grief that they had when they first came home and saw everything ruined and devastated. And they can shake off that faint spirit that came over them when they saw all the work that had to be done. God is the one taking away their grief and weariness and replacing those with garlands, wedding garlands to wear in celebration and anointing them with the oil of gladness. Why? Because the destruction they see now before them and the rubble that they're knee deep in is not the last word. God is doing a new thing among them, speaking a new word into being. What has been ruined will be built back up. And what has been devastated will be raised up stone by stone. So where the world sees nothing but devastation and destruction, a huge, ugly mess, God sees plenty to work with. Like the first shoots of spring, green and alive, coming out of the cold ground, God is doing a new thing. Centuries later, the anointed of the Lord, Jesus, will borrow these words from Isaiah. At the very beginning of his ministry, he will speak these words when he goes home to Nazareth to preach to the hometown crowd in the synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again, when these words are spoken, the people of God are in a mess. This time it's not Persia that rules over them, it's Rome. And there are various Jewish sects that are fighting for power, and the people wonder if the Messiah, the anointed one, is ever going to come and set things right. But Jesus puts a new spin on Isaiah's ancient words, because when he finishes reading from Isaiah, he rolls up the scroll and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. In other words, Jesus is the one who is bringing Isaiah's words to fruition. The time of renewal and redemption is now. It's time to rebuild. The good news is here, right now. No longer just an idea or a promise, but the promise is coming true in this moment, Jesus says. And the people are with him. Yeah, preach it, Jesus. They're ready. But then, Jesus goes on to mention two Old Testament examples of God doing a new and wonderful thing. Only the two examples that he uses is God blessing people who are outside of Israel. First, he tells them about Elijah feeding the widow of Zarephath during a terrible famine. And then he reminds them about Elisha 
cleansing Naaman the Syrian of leprosy. Two people outside the story whom God chooses to bless, with whom God does a new and amazing thing. And that's when they drive him out of the synagogue and try to push him off a cliff. So let's just say that no matter what happens today after my sermon, it can't go that badly. But it's no wonder that the people get mad at Jesus because he is actually doing something completely radical for those listeners. He is taking Isaiah's words that the people for centuries have heard reserved just for them. They're hearing those words of new life promised to those Israelite exiles when they got back home and saw the mess. They hear those words of renewal and hope for themselves. And Jesus takes those words and reapplies them to everybody to all people who are mourning, who have been exiled, who find themselves knee-deep in the rubble. All of them deserve this good news of hope and life. And so it seems to me that it's such a shock to those early listeners when Jesus does this because he's taking the promises they thought were just for them And he's opening them up to everybody. Which makes perfect sense. Because just as the Israelites were a mess when they heard Isaiah's words, and just as Jesus' first listeners were a mess when they heard him quote Isaiah's words, aren't we all a mess? All of us in need of a Savior. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we hear Isaiah's words through Jesus's interpretation. All who are oppressed and brokenhearted, held captive, imprisoned, mourning. This good news of love in Christ Jesus is for all of us. For you, for me, and every single person who lives and breathes. What is devastated and ruined shall be raised up and repaired, Jesus says. Ashes of grief and the weight of mourning are not meant to be a permanent wardrobe. God has a garland ready for each of us, a mantle of praise with your name on it, with all of our names on it. Sisters and brothers, in this room in these pews, and in the circle of friends and family that each of us represent. There are places of oppression and captivity, things we cannot forgive or forgiveness we cannot receive, parts of ourselves and our story that we cannot imagine ever being redeemed. There are places of deep brokenheartedness, Deep disappointments that we carry, losses we've suffered, broken relationships, unfulfilled dreams that we carry with us. 
In so many ways, our lives are like one great big renovation project caught right in the middle. Everything's a mess. It's half dismantled. There's pipes exposed, dust everywhere, knee-deep in rubble. And yet, our great healer, or in this metaphor, our great contractor, has a vision and is at work rebuilding and renovating, building up and tearing down just where it needs to happen, working on our behalf, reminding us that new life is possible. New life is springing forth, like the first shoots of spring up from the cold earth, like the tiny flowers that insist on growing through those cracks in the sidewalk. Our God is about the work of bringing good news up out of the rubble, out of the mess. It seems to me that Isaiah's words here speak deeply to where we are as a community here in Huntington. In one sense, we're knee-deep in a mess. In the rubble of a devastating opiate addiction epidemic, of drug-related violence, of a foster care system that is bursting out at the seams, of helping agencies that are absolutely strapped and having to make hard decisions. Staring at the mess for too long can make us feel both hopeless and helpless, ready to pile on the ashes of grief and give in to that faint spirit that Isaiah talks about. Looking at the mess for too long can also make us turn away in fear and judgment and sometimes cynicism, ready to wash our hands of those who are stuck in the rubble. But the fourth Sunday of Advent has something to say about rubble and mess, whether it's our own rubble or the rubble all around us, the kind of rubble we make ourselves or the kind somebody gives to us, or the kind that simply emerges from being a broken person living in a broken world. Here's what the fourth Sunday of Advent has to say to us. The rubble is not the last word. None of us is truly stuck. The mess and the rubble never have to be the last word. Jesus has come into the mess and the muck and the rubble to show us the way, to pull back some of that rubble and show us where there is new life springing forth, tiny and hopeful and hard to kill a spot of green, and a field of dust and destruction. These tiny little bursts of life are all around us if we look closely enough. You hear it in the voices of the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that we host on Wednesday night. Once a month, they have an open meeting where you and I can go and listen. And if we do, we will hear people tell the truth about the rubble and the truth about new life that can be found there, a new story with a new ending.
We can hear it in the testimonies of people who graduate from drug court and find a new lease on life when everyone else had written them off. We can read about it in the new quick response team dispatched to people who have overdosed. It's a newly formed three-pronged effort by local medical care, mental health specialists, and law enforcement to visit each and every person who has suffered an overdose within 72 hours to get them help. Now, are any of these examples going to be the magic one that cleans all the rubble up in 50 minutes? No. Complex problems never have magic wand solutions, no matter how much we wish they did. But complexity cannot become an excuse for us to turn away. As the wisdom of the rabbis found in the Talmud says, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. In every single effort to help, in every single hand that reaches out to someone stuck in the rubble, in every single hopeful step, God is at work bringing good news of new life. Centuries ago, knee-deep in the rubble of a ruined city, God's people heard a voice bringing good news, news that Jesus told us was for all people, all people everywhere. Good news of a new life made real in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Knee-deep in our own rubble, in our own lives, in our own families, in our own community, that voice of the Anointed One is still bringing good news. The good news of Christ's love that makes all things new, that brings new life, even and especially in the most devastated of places. That is the work of our redeeming God. And thanks be to God, he is still about that work, even now. Please pray with me. Redeeming God, thank you for these words from Isaiah that Jesus interpreted for us, reminding us that your good news is for every single one of us and for all of your children. Be with us, Lord, who feel like we're knee-deep in the rubble. Help us to see your signs of new life all around us. Forgive us, Lord, when we give in to despair and cynicism and renew us. Renew the hope only your love can give.
Help us to be the bringers of your good news that you need us to be in this time and in this city. In Christ's name, amen.